You're listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast, episode 30, with Jim, the Alpha Dog Ziggler. Here we go. You're dialed in to the Dealer Playbook Podcast, where it's all about winning auto dealer strategies that deliver proven results. And now your hosts, Robert Weissman and Michael Cirillo. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast, where every single week we're sitting down with the who's who in and out of the automotive industry. Uh, we thank you for stopping by. My name is Michael Cirillo. I'm here with Robert Wiseman. How's it going, buddy? It is going excellent, Michael. Thank you. Can you believe that it has taken us this long to rendezvous with the Alpha Dog? Yeah, well, you know, it's the the dog <laughs> is a good friend of ours, and uh, you know, like it, like we told him. That we wanted to, uh, you know, build some, build, get a good push, and you know, get a get a good audience built up before we bring on someone such as himself. You know what? And 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 you said it. I mean, there he is such a great friend. We're so glad to call him a friend. But we couldn't think of anybody better inside of the industry to talk from a more qualified position about finance and insurance and the processes that you can be using to really kick things up a notch to increase profitability at the dealership level than Jim Ziegler. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, from finance, it's one of the most important parts in a dealership. You know, the pro- it's, you know, good, pro- great margins for most dealers on these products. And it's a very, you know, they're handling all the final and expediting like all of the the legal parts of a deal. So, I mean, it's, you know. You're gonna love, you're gonna love what Jim has to say. But without further ado, let's jump into our sit down with Jim, the alpha dog, Ziggler. Let's do it. All right, we are so excited to be sitting down with the man himself, the alpha dog, Jim Ziegler. Jim, thank you so much for being with us today. I wouldn't miss it for anything. You know what? It's uh, we're we're extremely grateful. I'm speaking for Robert and myself to just you know have you as a friend. You know, it was so fun a few weeks back being with you and Debbie in Boston and uh, touring around and and just enjoying your company and hearing so many stories. We were just talking about how if there's one guy on the call right now that has more mic experience than us and whoever else is podcasting combined, it's the Alpha Dog. <laughs> oh golly! I was in radio most of my adult life before I got in the car business. And then once you left radio, went into the car business, you went on to become a record-holding F and I expert. Well, yeah, I, uh, some of the records I have still stand. Some of them have been long since broken, but at the time I held those records at uh, per retail unit. Uh, I was in the first dealership in the United States to do a, a million dollars in one month in finance. Wow. Oh, Nin- smoke! Nineteen eighty-four. What kind of volume uh, dog is somewhere a place like that doing that? Like eggs in you know unit count that's doing a million just in finance. Well, that was dire and dire Volvo in the day, and it's kind of interesting to believe a, a Volvo dealership yeah. would be the first dealership in the country to hit the million dollar mark. But we did, and I wasn't in charge. I wasn't the the department head. I was one of the managers. But there were five extremely talented managers. It was May of '84. We hit a million seventy-three thousand. Uh, Richard Dyer. That place was Camelot. We took that dealership from forty units a month to eight hundred and fifty units a month in a year. And a half. 
Oh, smokes. Okay, so th- this is perfect because, you know, uh, like we said, and, and for those listening in, they know we haven't had an F&I show yet, and we couldn't think of anybody better to dig into this topic than you. Let, let me ask you, when it, when it comes to finance and insurance, and, and you taking this dealership from 40 units to 800 some odd units, what were some of the, y- y- can you give us an idea of some of the processes that you put into place to achieve that? The, the idea that you can get deals bought is more important than your skill at selling to the customer. It's more important to be able to talk the banks into financing these people with the least conditions and, 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 the, and the most wide open financing. And that, that was my talent. That's what I, what I did best in my, my retail experience. I, I invented something called the consumer counseling interview where I believe if, and I still teach it at my F&I schools. Uh, I want the F&I manager to get in front of the distressed credit customer early. What I see in dealerships today is that uh, they work these deals to death even after they've identified these people have poor credit. Why do you keep negotiating with somebody once you realize (laughs) they've got poor credit? They continue to throw discounts and negotiate with them. No, I want the the finance manager, and and I call him the financial manager. I don't want to be called the business manager. I, I met the business manager in these dealerships. That's a, a man or a woman in the back office with a bad disposition. I'm not the business <laughs> manager. You know, I'm the, I'm the financial manager. That sounds like Merrill Lynch or something. You know, I mean, <laughs> power power props are important. And the, the ability to get in front of the customer and to do the consumer credit counseling interview. Because it's it's all about feelings. Jackie Cooper was a friend of mine. Jackie said, Jim, it's about feelings. And if you can explain to people why the rate's higher, why, why we'd like them to buy these protection options, you're, you're much better off. What was the, I mean, what was the process for getting somebody into, in, into this credit or consumer credit council interview? I mean, was it... okay? You just kind of, they came in the door, they piqued their interest, they were intrigued, and you said, hey, I've got some questions for you. How did you lead into this? Is this, is this after the workshop? I'm sorry, Jim. Is this after, like, they have they agreed to some terms and submitted, you know, application? No, no, or? no. This is before they buy the car. Or after, after they bought the, whenever we identify a bad credit. Whatever stage of the process, the sales manager says, oh, we got really bad credit here or even marginally bad credit. I want the sales department to stop the deal. I will go to the salesperson's office. Uh, Hi folks, my name is Jim Ziegler. I'm general financial manager here at the dealership and um, I see you're buying an automobile and from these folks, I I never want the F&I manager to act like you're part of the sales department. I see you're buying a car from these folks, (laughs) you know, and um, I just stop by while, while you're you're working out the deal to find out how do you intend to pay for the car. You're going to be financing with my sources. Do you uh, intend to bring bring a check in from your own bank, your own credit union? Or are you going to pay cash? Oh no, we're going to use your sources. Fantastic! I'm glad to have your business, and um, I've got your credit bureau report right here. And I'd like to ask you a couple questions about your credit before I make a decision on the approval of your loan. Keeping control. But did you hear that last sentence? before I make a decision on the approval of your loan. Yeah. So many F&I managers, well, we'll see if I can get forward credit to approve it. No, you gave away all your power. Yeah, I love that. 
I approve the loan. And I don't know about Canada, but in the U.S., the, le- the lender and the dealer are one and the same on the contract. It's a holder in due course document. So technically, I am the lender as the dealer until I get a bank to buy that existing loan from me. So technically, I do approve the loan based on the knowledge that I have a lender I can sell it to. So when I tell them I approve the loan, and and I said and I, I tell the people, listen, I'm approving your loan. I want to tell you that in advance, but I'm not the final decision maker. My associates at Ally Financial can still turn you down. They can overrule me. I'm not the final decision maker. I'm approving this loan, and that puts the the consumer squarely in in my corner. Oh, he's approving the loan, but he's got to get it past his associates at Ally, my associates at Ford Credit. That is a strong, see, word tracking is is why my course is so so different. The words you say to the customer are your toolbox. And I have invented these very unique word tracks that are not taught in any other F&I school. And the results my people are getting are incredible. So that's, that's the, the, the consumer credit counseling interview, um, Michael and Robert, is for two things. Number one, to get information to get the deal approved. You know, the, because I'm going to end up on the telephone with a lender, even though I submit it through dealer track or one of the, the services. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to end up probably getting a condition or a turn down, and I'm going to end up on a telephone talking to the, the credit supervisor at Ally or you know, Ford Credit or whatever. Chrysler, you know, so when I'm on the phone with the supervisor, I need ammunition. I need justification, extenuating circumstances. Um, I need some type of an argument to build up why this loan should be approved. I'm getting that from the consumer. And then I'm looking for other credit they have that's not in the bureau. So that's what this, this interview is about. But the other part of it is positive intimidation. Now, that, that sounds like a double negative. You know, yeah. Okay, you can intimidate somebody without scaring them or humiliating them. Because today, you know, we used to call people with distressed credit bad names. Bogues, drecks, roaches, credit criminals, (laughs) get-me-dones, bandits. But, you know, we're trying to be a little more socially acceptable nowadays. These people are credit-challenged, equity-impaired. You know, trying to put a little positive. Well, one thing about people with distressed credit, they know who they are. They've received mail about it. Right, they've seen they've seen tow trucks skulking around their driveways. They they know who they are, you know. Not not a big secret to them. They've got poor credit, right? So you know, but today we have BWAs, bogues with attitudes. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I mean, they used to be humble and have a little humility. Now they they think it's a constitutional right not to pay your bills and get another loan. So. You have to take that attitude off of them, and that's where the positive intimidation comes in. I'm approving your loan. Behave yourself. I didn't buy all that stuff you didn't pay for. You know, it was not my fault. And um, the credit interview pretty well establishes that. And, you know, there's there's four things that the the lender's looking for. They all start with a C. They're looking for capacity, collateral, creditability, and uh, character. And you've got to build those things when you're in this interview. I've got to find reasons that this loan should be approved. So this could really be um, a massive 
gateway for dealerships to sell more vehicles because this credit counseling interview helps them identify how qualified, you know, not just from a financial position, but from just, uh, uh, you know, just from various avenues, how qualified that individual is to own that vehicle and how reliable they'll be in paying the, the, the bill and, uh-huh. and all those sorts of things. So it's, it's really, like you said, it's positive intimidation, which I love, but it's also you keeping control of this and not, not handing over any amount of control to the consumer. When I say I approve the loan, they sit up and pay attention. They're all I, of a sudden on your side. Exactly. And I say, I'm approving your loan, but I still had to review my approval with my associates at the bank who could overrule me. I'm not the final decision maker. Help me to help you. It's, it's, it's a whole philosophy that goes with it. It's, 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 it's incredible how, how well this works. What did they say during the interview? Well, I had a repossession because uh, I was in the hospital. Oh, I understand. Do I have your permission to tell my associates at the bank you'll be purchasing credit insurance to protect this investment? Oh, my car kept breaking down. Oh, I understand. Do I have your permission to tell my associates at the bank you'll be purchasing a, a service agreement to protect this, this vehicle? Well, do I have to take that? No, sir. It is not required. It's not mandatory, but I strongly suggest you take it. You see, I'm never going to lie, cheat, sneak, or deceive to self-finance. There's a line, and I will walk right up to it, but I will never step over it. Right. Well, and and I mean, you know, uh, the the way your wording, I, I mean, your word tracks position you from uh, a point where, I mean, I don't know about you, Robert, but I don't get the impression that you're you're walking close to the line. You're just maintaining um, control over the conversation and helping them in a much more positive way understand the status of their situation. It's like, hey, you know, you have bad credit for legitimate reason, you know, that you didn't pay bills or you didn't, you know, whatever you neglected to pay bills. Um, you have really poor credit for whatever the reason is, but you're trying to buy a 40000 or a $50,000 vehicle. This, this method kind of puts the dealer back in the driver's seat where, like you said, they're not having to feel the need to uh, slash prices and offer discounts and, oh, let me see what what can be done or let me see if this will work or if I can get you approved. You stay in the driver's seat. You you manage the conversation, but in a way that, you know, dispels the, the grubby car guy myth, which is that we're against you and we're just trying to take you. It's like, no, we're, we're legitimately trying to educate you and we're doing that from a position of power. Well, see, that's the thing. Everything about F&I is a power posture. The way your office looks, the way you dress. When I'm in a dealership and I'm doing F&I, I am always suited up. I mean, I'm wearing a tie, a suit, and I don't care if the rest of the dealership's wearing polo shirts and shorts. I am not one of them. I am a banker. Bankers do not wear polo shirts. If, if you can follow, I want to be different than the sales department. I, I want to be totally divorced from who they are. I'm not one of them. I'm something else. And that when they come in my office, there's no other paperwork visible. They can't, you know, my office looks like a banker's office. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. important. It doesn't look like some third rate clerk with papers <laughs> stacked up everywhere and when you get a loan from a bank, you don't see another another customer's loan sitting on the table, right? You know, you know. And you look at some of the, some of the dealerships they put they put the F and I people in the worst, dingiest, dark ass dungeon in the world. <laughs> and I'm going quit it. 
when, when I went to, to Banner Ford in Decatur, Georgia, my first big F&I job back in the 80s, I, I, I was dating my wife then. We hadn't gotten married yet. And I was promoted to F&I manager. And I went in that office and I, I couldn't believe. And so her and I went in there on a Sunday and it had this black paneling on the wall with staples in the paneling where the guy had stapled stuff up and a little piece of paper hanging out the staples. And there was a beam over the desk, and he had all his rate sheets stapled on the beam where the customer no. couldn't see it. And, and one, one leg of the desk was bricks, and um, the computer was filthy with, with finger grease, and the phone had had. had ear smudge on it you know I mean, <laughs> going that off oh and we had shag carpeting and they smoked inside the building in those days and i'm going what oh man dingy dark dungeon well the owner brad greer came in on a monday and he did a double take when he walked by the office because that that brown black ugly paneling was in the dumpster and she and i had wallpapered the office and my carpet on the floor, my desk, my blonde desk and my my blonde um, cabinetry behind it and living room type lighting, a sofa and comfortable chairs for the consumer. I had uh, I had wall hanging, you know, paintings on the wall. He couldn't believe it. Uh, he was so embarrassed he had to remodel his own office. So so there there's the aspect of maintaining control from the conversational standpoint, but also conditioning their what do you want to call it like emotional response by changing the atmosphere of your your office everything in my life is power posture you know the it's it's powerful it's intense every everything about it you know i set up the atmosphere um when a customer comes in i give the husband a pen i give the wife a pen because i don't want them locking eyes when we're signing documents (laughs) The the show's up front here (laughs) and i I do a menu presentation and i i I have some word tracks that are just incredible in in the f and i schools that i do like one of the things f and i people bump into robert you you probably seen this any number of times oh i don't want any of that stuff i know you're selling stuff here i don't want any of that Mm -hmm. well my my answer to that is no problem sir um but I am required by law to explain the, explain the coverages to you because you're going to have to sign waivers, releases, and hold harmless agreements on those items that you decline and agree to self-insure. Interesting. Self-insure scares the hell out of them. <laughs> when I tell them, people go, I'm self-insuring? Oh, absolutely. You know, an automobile is 15,000 high-tech component parts. And you're self-insuring on all of that if you don't get the parts and labor agreement. Okay, so let let me ask you this: when you when you go into a dealership, and you know they they've brought you on to to I guess fix things or set up process and protocols to help them take their business to the next level. What? I, I mean, what are the demands? I know I know you mentioned that the first thing that you have to absolutely have, I think we were talking about this in Boston, is you need the ability to fire people. Does that mean you're going into the dealership to, to make big changes when they're needed? Well, not really. I, and and I, I don't need the ability to fire people. I need the ability for the dealer to be willing to fire people. Got it. You follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I need to have authority. 
and I'll and I'll have managers some, and usually I don't have that problem. Very seldom the managers are usually totally on board with me. Generally, it's the salespersons that rebel against the the processes. Right. The, the managers welcome it because they they see the profitability. But once in a while, I have managers. Well, this is the way we like to do it. Well, well, you don't think they brought me here because you're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. You know, and, you know. and what are what are some of the um I, I guess standard kind of typical issues that you see when you go into dealerships well, in regards the, to finance Michael, yeah or yeah just, just yeah. in regards to what we're talking about when you go into yeah. a dealership and you're there to fix their f&i process help them you know improve what they're doing what what's what are you just kind of seeing across the board as something that just kind of each dealership has in common that they could do right now to to improve and on top to add to that jim the role of the finance. Well, the you're, you're, you're almost because, answer, answering yeah. the question. Yeah. Because the, I think a lot of times that I've seen that, that sometimes they play the roles kind of like, sometimes I feel like the, I've seen where the desk manager actually is submitting for approvals and, you know, the one calling the bank. And then in, in the end, the fine, you know, the F and I guy, he's just pretty much spinning paperwork and at, you know, selling product. Well, see, that, that's not that, the right structure, right? That's wrong. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the F&I manager has more skills, more schools, more specialized training than anybody in the dealership except the technicians that fix the cars. Most sales managers learn their job by watching their predecessor who was fired. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, so, fair enough. Yeah, there, I've got one of the very few sales manager schools out there. There's dozens of F&I schools. And we are, the, we are the highest per square inch profit center in the dealership. And you know, mo- most sales managers are eating the last brown shriveled leaves off the trees before they're sucked down in the tar pits. Most customers today are buying cars based on finance, not based on price. The, the payment is more important than the trade value or the price. So to answer your question, Michael, the 99% of the time, the sales management is dominating the F&I management. And if I were to buy the dealership right now, I would tell you all my managers would have equal power, including the ability to terminate a salesperson. And I've had people say, well, my, my F&I manager couldn't handle that. Well, then why did you hire a wimp? <laughs> you, know, you know, excuse me. You know, I want, I, we're a profit center. We're not, we're not clerks. You're not the sales manager's secretary. You're certainly not answerable to salespersons. You are a manager, and manager is a position of dignity, authority, and respect. I will be respected. I will have authority, and I will not be the sales manager's secretary or clerk for the sales manager. That, you know, I've, I've been to more schools, more skills. No, I won't put up with that. And if, I, if I'm a dealer, I'm going to have a general sales manager, and below that level, it's just going to be managers all with equal authority and responsibility. Now, I think I might have gotten this from you, I believe, in some of your training previously when, when I was still in the dealership. And I would always do my introduction to the, the finance director or whomever as like, this is like the top guy in the dealership, you know, like this, all right, the, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Customer, here's, uh, you know, Sam, he's the director of finance here. It's number one top guy here in the store. What is the, you know, w- what's the proper 
turnover. I be, you know, like when introducing to finance and then also like how important is the salesperson kind of prepping or, you know, get it, or talking about the products, like should the salesperson be discussing and, and backing up any of the products that he's about to, uh, you know, they're about to embark on once they go in into the F&I office. And I don't, I don't want them to. You don't want them I, to, to. I I don't want them to even mention the existence of the products. Uh, they're not prepared to sell them because the consumers consumers going to say, "Well, how much is that?" Now, now the salesperson are going to probably ballpark a figure and and cut. Well, I don't need that. And then they get in the F and I office and I start to present the products. Oh, look, I already told that other guy I don't want that. And so you're selling against that. Yeah, now, it increases your margin of error. Exactly, and. By the way, Robert, I've probably already met these people. I, I tell F&I managers to meet the customer on the floor. Do not meet them for the first time in combat. Okay. And then what, what, what's the best? How do you I suggest will, I that go, I, go, I go out there and I, I say, hi, are you Mr. and Mrs. Jenkins? Hi, I'm Jim Ziegler. I'm general financial manager here at the dealership. I'll be processing all your legal paperwork, making all your financial disclosures, and signing waivers and releases and hold harmless documents on items that, that you reject and uh, agree to self-insure. It's going to take about 45 minutes. I'll have you in there in just a moment. So I've already answered all their questions. I, I tell F&I managers to have a one long-winded sentence like that. Because the, the customer has three questions. Who are you? What are we going to do? How long is this going to take? So I answer all three of those questions in one sentence. Who am I? What am I going to do? How long is this going to take? So now, now they have no more questions, and I'll have you in there in just a moment. And by that time, all the, all the salesperson has say, hey, this Mr. Ziegler, financial manager, you met him earlier. And very seldom do I ever have a customer in my office that I didn't come out and meet first. Mm-hmm. That does happen. And I, I, I want a very short introduction if they haven't met me. This is Mr. Ziegler. He's our financial manager. He'll make all your legal disclosures and show you all your financial options. Bam, gone. That's it. Yep. I love it. It's such a, it's such a uh, streamlined process. It creates such a an incredible experience. It gets the consumer to know more than one person uh, during the process of purchasing a vehicle, you know, breaks the ice. I love what you said about the atmosphere and controlling the conversation. Uh, Jim, just in, in, in uh, keeping with time here, um, you know, we want to be able to turn it over to you. How can uh, our listeners get in touch with you and tell us a little bit about some of the events that you have coming up? Okay, I've got the Sales Management Super Conference coming up in Atlanta in November. That's the 11th, 12th, half a day on the 13th. It's 15 experts on stage, and um, you've spoken at that event yourself, Michael. Um, it's, it's an incredible event. Uh, I, I'm, I'm doing six hours of that event myself, wow. include, including how to work a car deal. I'm going to be doing an hour and a half of F&I in that event. Uh, that the the website is Ziegler Z I E G L E R I before E Ziegler Superconference dot com, and then we're doing an event in Long Island, New York, and I, I have a date set for early December, and um, it, it's going to be an F and I seminar, two day F and I seminar with me doing the entire thing. Wow, sounds awesome, and I mean, if you haven't figured it out already. Jim is so dialed in when it comes to F&I, when it comes to creating processes that increase 
your profitability that help your entire team move more metal products and services. So you definitely want to check out Ziegler Super Conference. Remember, it's I before E, Z-I-E. GLER Super Conference, and then stay tuned for the details early December for this F&I seminar. You absolutely need to check that out because if I know Jim, and I do, he is going to lay out the blueprint for you to absolutely take your dealership to the next level. Jim, can we connect with you on social media? Anytime. Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um, James A. Ziegler, facebook.com forward slash James A. Ziegler. Um, get over a thousand people a day. Hit that page. Love it. Jim, thank you so much for being with us today. We look forward to especially having you back on the show sometime in the future. Definitely. Take care. Thank you, Take- Mr. Alpha Dog. We appreciate it. <laughs> Take care, guys. <laughs> thank you. And there you have it, just like that, our friend and still the record holder in F&I, Jim the Alpha Dog Ziggler. Michael, what'd you think? I mean, you said it. Can you believe, I mean, a million in one month? Yeah. That's, that's like, to me, that's like, and I love what he said. He's like, we built Camelot at that dealership. I mean, he took them from 40 units, to like 850 something. Yeah. On top of that, I, I loved, you know, just some of the things that he said. He, he talked a lot about creating an atmosphere that is conducive to purchasing vehicles, making people feel special, but also retaining, you know, all of the control over that, um, mm-hmm. or, or not just not, not, I, I don't want to say keeping control, but like just not handing over yeah. any power and Do you know and, what i mean and 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 speaking from a position of power and putting that perception you know in those simple word tracks it's you know it, it builds the perception in the consumer's eyes of the importance of this individual so then you easily get all of their attention as well so I think it really helps them, you know, move through the process, make sure they get everything done properly because nothing can spoil CSI and return bit repeat business when you have to keep bringing somebody back in because they forgot to sign mm-hmm. a certain document, yep. and things like that, which I've seen that multiple, multiple times and it ends up hurting everybody involved. So, I mean, great things covered is word tracks there. I mean, I used to use some of his sales related ones when I was on the floor and it works because sales are not missed by dollars. It's words. Wrong things at the wrong time spoil it. That's what he said, right? Those word tracks that you you have, that's your toolbox. That, that's how you convey the right message to the right people at the right time. Get them qualified for the right vehicle that you know meets their needs and budget and all that kind of stuff and help you sell more products and services and, of course, vehicles. Um, so check it out, www.thedealerplaybook.com, where we will link to all of the resources that Jim has mentioned, including links to the conferences and events that he has coming up, the one in Atlanta, ZieglerSuperConference.com. And then, of course, he's got an FNI conference coming up where it's him dropping some power bombs him alone i think is what he said so we're going to link to those in the show notes don't forget to subscribe we're on itunes stitcher radio and now soundcloud and of course we would love your feedback we thrive on it the good bad and ugly if you have topic ideas or guests that you like to hear them we want them all but thank you so much for listening in and we'll talk to you next time until next time